1 through 20. Uh, please stand as you're able as we hear from, the, from God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. We're a little early. This is like the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas. We're kind of mushing it together. And I wanted to just start off by having a little fun with us. So this is a Christmas quiz that I made uh, just to see how you do. There's no prizes. There's no, uh, you know, gifts or blessings. It's just for us to reflect on this. So first question, true or false? The Bible says Mary rode on a donkey. Conviction? True or false? Anybody? Final, final choice? Okay. Answer is false. We assume that Mary probably rode the 80-mile journey pregnant uh, on a donkey, maybe on a cart, or maybe she walked. But the Bible never says she rode on a donkey itself. So in Luke 2 that we just read, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child while they were there time came for the baby to be born. So a uh, lot of pictures of, of Mary riding the donkey. She could have, she could have not. We, we're not sure. Um, maybe. So question two. Here we go. Who said that there was no more room for Joseph and Mary? Who said that there was no room for Joseph and Mary? Okay. Uh, I don't want to do raise of hands. Some people, innkeeper, maybe the landlord. A farmer, we don't know. The answer is 
don't know. There is no innkeeper. Um, that, that's, that was added on because of this word, Cataluma, uh, where it says there was no room in the inn. And that word is it's a little bit misleading because what we read is, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger. That's the feeding trough. Because there was no guest room available for them, according to the NIV. So it wasn't uh, the guest room, we'll get to that in a bit. It's translated like a family living room. There was no space in the house with the relatives that they were visiting. So they probably went to the corner where the animals were kept indoor. That's why they had a manger. Uh, so, but there was no inn. There was no Holiday Inn. There was no uh, Hilton. There was no Hyatt. Question three, how many wise men were there? Okay, uh, you're getting good. So it's unsure. Um, we assume three because gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, you guys are so good Sunday school. But some people say it could be as high as 33. Um, there was a painting that was done in the Renaissance age where they looked at uh, wise men coming from the east. And there could have been a caravan of 33 royalties. We don't know. So... We, we use three as a nice number, Trinity and three presents. So it's not wrong to say there's three, uh, but we just don't know. So it's interesting. Okay, so after Jesus was born, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked. So interesting. You guys are doing great. Question four, true or false? On the night Jesus was born, shepherds and wise men came to see baby Jesus. Of course, this is... <laughs> okay, uh, false. The wise men came as much as almost two years later. Jesus was in his terrible twos. I'm not sure what that would look like. And then wise men came and gave him presents. And they said, this isn't Nintendo. Um, so the reason why we say it's almost two years, if you read Matthew 2, Herod was furious because he was duped by the wise men. Uh, he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem up to the age of two. Why? Because according to the wise men's prophecy, they were thinking that this baby would have been up to two years old. So, um, but it's convenient when we have uh, like 30 kids and you have to do a skit, you can't have all shepherds, so we put wise men in there too. So it's a, that's, that's the real reason. Okay, question five, last one. Jesus was born in a... Okay. <laughs> So look for the one that says unsure, not sure, we don't know. Uh, not sure. But most likely it was this. We just don't have a definitive answer. But she was brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there wasn't room for them in the inn. And that word Cataluma is a family living room. And so remember, why did Joseph go back to Bethlehem? Because they were doing a census and all the families had to come. So there was a family reunion. So there's family from out of town coming back home. And because of that, that cramped space, there was no room. So they didn't go to a hotel because they didn't have family. They had family. So within the house, in the family living room, they had to go to a corner. Um, so the word for in is family living room, hence the manger. Okay. Um, so possibly he was born in a house. So what's the point? Okay. So here's where we go into this. What's the point of this little quiz? 
um, the Christmas story over time, whether you grew up in church or not, there's a lot of assumptions. We assume there were three kings. We assume that the, the wise men were there. We have a lot of assumptions about Christmas. And the assumptions are not always biblical, but it's okay. These details are, you know, it's like the resurrection story. There are a lot of different varying versions. They're not conflicting. It's just eyewitness accounts that are different. And so that takes us to the second point, that in assumptions like this, Christmas has a lot of assumptions. And what I mean by that is, around this time of year, we reflect on ourselves and we get stressed. A lot of us are stressed out during Christmas time. And let me ask you, why, why are people stressed out during Christmas time? I, I see mouths moving, but we're all free. Because <laughs> we have, we want, we want to entertain guests. We want to make everything perfect. We have a house. Uh, we have gifts. We have to remember everybody. We have to get the food right. And so Christmas time, it, instead of bringing peace and joy, we have a lot of stress. And the assumption is, I need to make everybody know that my life is clear and perfect and things are going well. I can't mess up. It's a reflection on me. And Christmas time, instead of finding joy and peace, we, we get a lot of stress. I got to thank God, and I hope, you know, I want to do this as testimony. For whatever reason, this Christmas has been the least stressful for me uh, in all the years of ministry. I have no idea why. There's a lot of things to do. But I, I think it's because I finally learned to say, hey, I am not going to live into that assumption that everything has to be perfect. Because it reflects who I am. And so... This time, it's a chance for us to say Christmas time has these assumptions that we harbor. Life has to be smooth. I need to be perfect. We want everyone to be impressed with how we look. You don't know how many. I, I've had four apologies. Uh, and the apologies were, I am so sorry. We didn't send out Christmas cards this year. And I said to them, I, I love you. Thank you. It's just your thought. You don't have to do a Christmas card. You could just say Merry Christmas. Um, and so sometimes we, we apologize, and I think gathering together, seeing each other, saying hello, worshiping Christ together might be one of the best ways we do Christmas. Uh, you don't have to have it perfect. So these assumptions are always in play, but the second part I want to say in this quiz is that Jesus was truly born. The most important part about this quiz was not how many wise men were there, but take a moment Jesus Christ, who is God, was born. Now, this is important because some of you are saying, no, duh, that's why we're at church, Pastor Jason. In 2015, the History Channel did a survey. And the survey found out one out of five adults in England do not believe Jesus Christ ever existed. He was not a real person. Now, in this room, a lot of us don't even believe Santa Claus, you know, and, and you know, Maybe there's a historical Santa Claus. Uh, maybe some people do. But in 2015, one out of five people do not believe Jesus Christ was a real person. That's a problem. And so when we look at the historical documents, I want to assure you, Christians who go to church, that in Jewish documents and Roman history, did you know that apart from Christianity, Jesus Christ was named? So for example, um, in one Jewish and Roman historical document, Senator Tacitus wrote, 
Jesus was executed by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, for crimes against the state and a religious movement of his followers sprang up in his wake. Tacitus was not a Christian. He was a senator. He had no uh, dog in the fight with Christianity, and he documented that Jesus Christ was executed by a governor, Pontius Pilate. In Jewish antiquities, Jewish records, it says this, that it, in one passage, it says an unlawful execution, Josephus identifies, identifies the victim James as the brother of Jesus who is called Messiah. So in Jewish documents, they have this history that Jesus Christ was a man who was the brother of James. And when James died, he was the half-brother of Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. So Jesus Christ is a real person, real human being who lived 2,000 years ago. And of course, according to our Bible, over 500 people have said they saw him alive in the flesh. So here we are at Christmas. I just want to take this time to say Christmas, let's move, go to this. Christmas was the miraculous incarnation of God as Jesus Christ. What is Christmas? One way to say it, it's the miraculous incarnation of God who is spirit. In theology class, they ask us, is God a boy or a girl? Uh, can I ask you, is God a boy or a girl? What is God? So maybe kids would say, he, he's, he's, a, he's a dude. He's got a beard and he's old and he sits up there. But in theology, we say God is neither a boy or a girl. He's spirit. He doesn't have a gender. Uh, we call him father because we identify as his children. And so God doesn't have a body. But the miracle is that this invisible, immortal spirit became flesh. That's why Christmas is astounding. It, it's, it's, never been it's never happened before. He's presented himself. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it predicted where this was going to happen. Out of you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, being small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come out to me that is to be the ruler in Israel whose goings out are from old, from ancient times. That this was written 800 years prior to Jesus coming was incredible. 800 years. America is less than 300 years old. And this predicted Jesus. And this is what John wrote. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, what? Has come in the flesh. The way John thought about God was he's spirit. And this spirit is a spirit that came in the flesh. Is from God. And from every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So I want to go into this. As we gather all these together, Christmas will answer four questions that every human being, and this is good for unbelievers and maybe your relatives who don't believe in Christianity. Christmas will answer four questions that almost everybody will ask at one point. The first question is this. Is there a God? And if so, who is God? And Christmas answers this question. Jesus is God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God himself revealed to the world. And there's a verse, uh, there's a verse, I don't have it here. Colossians 1.15, let me read it for us. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. So that makes him the creator. He was he was existing before creation. He's supreme over all creation. 
for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So Jesus is not just up there with Muhammad and, and Gandhi and, you know, Joseph. He's not, he's not a great teacher. He never claimed to be. He claimed to be God. And so when Thomas says, you know, help us to see God the Father, Jesus says, Philip, I said, Philip, Philip, don't you know me by now? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the first question that we get answered is, is there a God? Who is he? The answer is, Christmas tells us it's Jesus. We, that's why we worship Jesus. Uh, second, why am I here? Christmas answers this question, why am I here? Because if Jesus is the creator, then what does that make you and me? We are his creations. And if we are his creations, the creator has made you and me for a purpose. We are here for a purpose. And the only person that knows your purpose in life is not your dad, mom, the world, popular, popularity, influencers, YouTubers. It's Jesus Christ. He is the only one that knows fully what you were created for. Um, I saw a video clip the other, this week, and uh, somebody was in Las Vegas, and they were going around and asking, hey, what's the secret to life? What's the secret to life? What's the secret to life? And then there was this, like, big, big, like, African-American guy with the funky hairdo. He looked like, I forget this 80s singer. Um, I don't know. I can't remember his name. And the guy's like, hey, what's the secret of life? And the guy goes, He goes, the secret of life, there's no secret. It was, so, it was so bad. It was so cool. He goes, just obey the Lord Almighty. That's life. And the guy went, okay. <laughs> and walked away. And that went viral. Because we asked the question, what's the secret to life? And I realized all the things good in my life are from God. And all the times that bad things tend to come, is when I live life my way, apart from God. And so this man, he's right. There's no secret. Here's the Bible. Obey the Lord Almighty. That's why you're here in life. You follow that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 come together. Trust the Lord your God with all your heart. Or, no. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. No. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. And so this is God's promise Obey, and I will guide you and lead you. So third question, why does Christmas answer? Why do terrible things happen in the world then? If the secret to life is not really a secret, trust in the Lord, why do terrible things happen? The opposite of that. We have rejected God. We have refused to obey and follow God. Romans 3, 10 and 12 no one is righteous, no one, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. And so I was thinking about America, and you know what like, concerns me? It's not that kids are bad or we rebel. We've always done that. Gen X, we were bad, we just don't know it. You, we always focus on millennials and boomers, but Gen Xs were bad too. Like we, we make mistakes, that's not what's bad. Here's a concern, that this is just my editorial. My biggest fear as I look at the next generation is not that they make mistakes and they're rebellious. It's that they have drastically lost fear of authority. My generation never had that. Um, my, my friends and I were afraid of each other's dads, you know, at church and friends. Like, oh, man, your dad's angry. I don't want to go to your house. 
this, this generation, starting at 2, 3, 4, 5, they have lost any fear of authority. And that's growing. That scares me. Because the reason why the fifth commandment is in the Bible, honor your mother and father so that it may go well for you, is so that we could learn what it means to submit to a higher power, that we are not the higher power. And so why do bad things happen? It's because we have started to realize we don't need any authority over us. And so this Romans 3, what Paul is writing, it's becoming more accentuated. We have lost fear of teachers. Uh, now teachers are more afraid of parents and kids. <laughs> and so it's, everything's flipped. That I'm a little bit concerned of. But it goes back to our spiritual condition. Why do bad things happen? From Adam and Eve to now, we have chosen to be our own gods. So four, so what can we do to get right with God? And the answer is nothing. There is nothing you and I can do to get ourselves right with God. That's the news. So sorry to be so like deflating, but sinful people trying to make moral good things is like washing dirty dishes with dirty cloth. It gets dirtier. So let me just make, make, explain this a little bit. You guys remember 1985, March 17th, I believe, a song came out, We Are the World. Do you remember that? It was, a, it was heartwarming. How many of you cried listening to that? Maybe, I, you know, We Are the World. But Stevie Wonder and Bob Dylan and Michael Jackson. Um, there's a video clip I couldn't get, but Bob Dylan is in the studio, and he's like this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to imitate him. Bob Dylan is singing We Are the World. He's going... You, 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 have you seen the video? 30 seconds, they said, Bob Dylan, awkward, we are the world video. So ABC 2020 interviewed Bob Dylan right after that. And they interviewed Bob Dylan, and they asked him, what was that video about? Why were you kind of zoned out? And so Dylan, he supported the cause for Africa and famine relief, but not with the kind of spiritual fatalism about it. Bob Dylan was asked about that moment. And listen to this. Listen to this. Bob Dylan says, people buying a song and the money going to starving people in Africa is, you know, a worthwhile idea. But I wasn't so convinced about the message of the song. I wasn't so convinced about the message of the song. We are the world. You know, we could make a brighter day. Right? And he says, to tell you the truth, I don't think people can save themselves, you know. ABC, say themselves in any sort of, yeah, I just don't. I don't agree with that type of thing. So if you notice, he became an evangelical Christian, by the way. He believes in helping. He believes in selling songs, making the money, sending food. That's good. He says, that's, that's, I believe in that. But the words, we can make a brighter day. Uh, we, we can do it ourselves. Like the, the message of the song, we are the world, we can do this. He says, I don't know if I buy into that. And so what he's saying is, we could help remedy the symptoms, but the root problems, I don't know if we could fix that. Bob Dylan is right. The root problem is that there's a brokenness that we have called sin. 
that separates us, that rebels against God, that created all this catastrophe. And the only bridge between that, we can't get right with God with our own power. And so this is why God has given us a mediator, a savior. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. That Christ, we needed Christ. So for 400 years, Israel is quiet. They haven't heard anything. And then they hear a birth of Jesus foretold. So Christmas is the best way to grasp this famous verse, John 3, 16. Um, oh, there was a verse there. Can we read this together? One, two, three. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you're a Christian because at one point you said, I fixed my life, I started going to church, I, I prayed a lot more, I read the Bible, now I, I'm living a good life, I'm a Christian, you don't understand the good news. The good news is we could do our best efforts, but we still will fail. But Christ lived the life we should have lived. But Jesus Christ died the death we should have died. And it is Christ who has given us salvation. And so how did he come? God sent him. Christmas, um, I want to I try this exercise. Think about Christmas through this lens. What is Christmas? It is God's activity. God gave his one and only son. Uh, when you give presents, uh, do you get giddy? I, I think that's a good thing. You, you can't wait to give it to people. That's like me. I, I can't keep a secret. Like when you have some good presents. And I wonder if God, God wasn't giddy about giving his son, but there was love behind it. He had an activity to give, and God had a purpose. What was God's purpose? So that everyone who believes will not perish, but have eternal life. So Christmas, Christ comes down to us as a baby in a cold, harsh world sent by his father to be the one that brings us back to God. And so the best way to fully understand uh, in this world right now, it's we need this message because the fact that Jesus was born into a cold, harsh reality says a lot about where you and I are today in this world. Uh, right now, there's two wars on the main world stage. What are the two wars? The Ukraine and Gaza and Israel. And I want to show you this picture as I talk about it. And we want peace. We want peace. And during Christmas time, I'm tempted to. We just want to block out the news and just focus on our peace in our own house. And, and that's understandable because it's stressful. But Christmas allows us to go into this cold reality of the pain and brutality of the world. And it gives us a power to do that with true peace. And this is how. Uh, this lady named Kelly uh, Lattimore drew this. And she was converging the birth of Jesus into a harsh world with Joseph and Mary. And then this is the modern era in Palestine where there is like bombing and Hamas is brutalized, brutally killing innocent people. And so she drew this powerful image. And, you know, art could be interpreted many different ways. But here's what I want to focus on. What was the first Christmas? You had a teenage girl who was pregnant before marriage, a, a, 
engaged husband who stayed with her. They travel 80 miles in the cold, gives birth in, and puts the baby in an animal's trough, and then within a few months, a king wants to kill this baby. That's hard. And the pagan kings from afar still came and bowed to this child. So what's the point? If you look at the first Christmas, uh, Christmas means that God is a God who is not afraid to go into a manger. God is a God who is not afraid to enter into the broken, destroyed, devastated surroundings to the cold. He doesn't stay in the warm, cozy, farm blankets. And so I think Tim Keller said this. He said, our image of Christmas is uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, and Tim Keller says, nipping. That's, that's the extent of discomfort we want. We want to be cozy. But what's Christmas? It's God entering into the uncomfortable, harsh reality of the world, which is why this picture captures a modern version of it. Now, this is good news for us. Why is it good news? Because Christmas reminds us that God is not afraid to enter into your and my harsh, broken reality. God is not afraid to go into the world where he's rejected and spit on, and he's going to sit there and call us to repentance. He enters into this harsh reality, not into the fuzzy lights. I don't think he's attracted by the beautiful lights and the fancy choir. I think he's attracted to the darkness because he's light. And light shines the greatest in darkness. And so let me end with this Christianity Today article that I'll just read it. That brings all this together. Um, this pastor in, in Palestine, Christian pastor, he, he says, God is under the rubble in Gaza. He is with the frightened and the refugees. He is in the operating room. This is our consolation. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. If we want to pray, my prayer is that those who are suffering will feel this healing and comforting presence. This is the Christmas story, Al-Najir said. All these small details that we don't usually think about on Christmas, we usually put up decorations and have fun with Christmas trees and lights. But if you look at the real story of Christmas, it was a story of pure hardship. God didn't leave Mary and Joseph, and they didn't leave God. He looked around the room, and he said, why should we? And so Christmas, I want us to walk away with this image that as we see the scary things in the world, we are not to block it out, but we are to pray and to know and think God is in that as well. And in your reality, no matter how bad 2023 is or no matter how messy, how many failures or how cold your heart is, there's hope. God delights in entering into that shattering that because his son is the one that casts us out if we can't do it. That's Christmas. This is why we have the lights. And he is the reason why we exist for this world, to share this awesome news you and i are not abandoned by god amen let's pray lord god it is awesome 
it is awesome to see the story of Christmas unfold. And as much as we want to soften the details, even the part about Herod killing hundreds of baby boys, this tragedy, it reminds us that humanity is lost apart from you. And God, it's not that we have to rise up and be stronger, but Lord, we have to be strong enough to humble ourselves, to lay down our pride, to confess our sins, and to welcome a Savior to pick us out of the death of the grave and bring us into the new marvelous light of Jesus Christ. God, we are loved by you, and that breaks us. God, we are amazed that you have not given up on us throughout centuries and millennia of our rebellion. And so no matter what comes our way, Lord, may our hope be that, God, you are a God who enters and shatters the sin and the brokenness of the cold world. And that you bring life, you bring flesh, and you bring, you sew our, and knit the bodies together just like you did, uh, you showed Father God, uh, Ezekiel, and God, you doing that today in America and around the world. And so today, uh, we give you our hearts. We pray that we would not be passive enjoyers of Christmas, but we would be welcomers of you into our hearts, into our homes, and into this country, that you would be gloriously the ruler taking its place. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.